This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Welcome to the Place for a Purpose podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. And today's episode is called Treat or Retreat because we're talking about Halloween. Yes, we are. That's right. So before we jump in, over the years, we've done a lot of family-themed costumes, and they've been all centered around Disney movies. So, sweetie, which ones stand out to you as your favorites? That's really hard. I loved our Disney villains theme that we did a few years ago. I think I scared some children and maybe a few adults with my costume that year. But the Disney villains are always a hit. I also loved Moana when I went as Tafiti, the big green mountain, and you went as Maui and had those skin tight tattoos all over you. That was an exceptionally cold Halloween, and I hated you for it. But we did win a costume party with that costume, mainly because of me, I think. I really liked when we did Star Wars. I got to be a six foot four Yoda, and you were Chewbacca. You were like Chewbacca mom, and our dog was a little Ewok. That was really fun. And then we did Inside Out, and you went as Bing Bong, and that was amazing as well. And if you want to see the full collection, you can go to Elizabeth's Instagram and see all of it in all its glory. But it's a sad year. Because the band is breaking up. That's Our right. two oldest are going astray. They're going with their friends. No, <laughs> it's been a long run. I'm surprised it's lasted as long as it has. It's been a ton of fun. But we're not going to just talk about our Halloween costumes all day, no. even though we could. Yes. What are we going to cover? So we want to start by addressing some sticking points or objections that we might have as believers with engaging in Halloween. And maybe they're not in the forefront of your mind, but maybe they're running in the background. And maybe you've heard other people share some of these objections. And then we're going to end with some really practical things that you can do to take advantage of this time of year and hopefully build some relationships and build connections with your neighbors. So the three objections or sticking points that we're going to cover One, is Halloween evil? Two, what if Halloween violates my conscience? And three, if I engage with it, does it mean that I condone all the things that happen on Halloween? And even before we get into those, we have to share our Halloween emoni. Our story of why we love Halloween so much. So how did it start? So when we moved into our home, it was in the summer and we knew Halloween was coming and we had young kids. So we were super excited for that first Halloween. And we got all ready and we walked out our front door ready to trick or treat and nobody was out. Tell your joke. It was like a ghost town. It's so bad. You <laughs> love that joke. She laughs. So we got in our car and left. We set a bowl of candy out for a few of the trick or treaters that might come around. We came back. It was still full. And we continued to go to different neighborhoods for a number of years after that. And it wasn't until we had kind of began getting to know some neighbors through the block parties and the other events like the Easter egg hunts that we finally put our foot down and we said, okay, this is not okay. 
I mean, if there's ever a day where neighbors can go up to each other's front doors and knock and interact and have it not be awkward, it's Halloween. And why are we all leaving the neighborhood? We need to stay and see if we can use this day as a way to build some community. So we had the Facebook group up and running at that point, And as I remember it, it kind of felt like a Hail Mary, kind of like, we're going to send out this message and see if anybody will stay in the neighborhood and change the culture of Halloween. And even before I wrote that post, I remember drawing out a map of our neighborhood, which isn't huge. We have about 200 homes, so it's decent size, but it's like two streets and then a loop with some little cul-de-sacs. So we had gotten to know quite a few neighbors at that point. So we tried to write down on the map all the neighbors that we knew and who they lived by. And when we wrote the Facebook page, I remember splitting up the neighborhood into segments and cul-de-sacs and portions of the streets and tagging neighbors that kind of went together and asking if people would host these little, what we called stations together, co-host them and team up with other neighbors to pull off, like, let's say a hot dog station or a hot chocolate station or cider. I remember encouraging neighbors to buy a little portable fire pit from Walmart for 30 bucks. And like we've said, we live in suburbia. So in their driveway to host a little fire pit. Maybe do some s'mores. And I think our hope was that these would provide opportunities not only for next door neighbors to work together, but also as like stopping points as people would trick or treat and hopefully like many parties almost. And so we came out that first Halloween, asked people to stay, host these stations, and it was crazy. The neighborhood came alive. You had a double ear infection that year. You were sick as a dog. I still had fun. But I remember coming around the corner and walking up the street that's next to ours, and it was like the neighborhood had come to life. It had come alive, literally. I will never forget that moment. And later neighbors posting to the Facebook page that they had never had so much fun on Halloween, either as an adult or a child, because it was a blast. And that was really, I don't know if it was the very beginning of our neighborhood community, but it was a huge accelerator to seeing neighbors come together and building relationships. Yeah, so that's why we love Halloween. But there can still be some of these lingering objections and hangups. So the first one that we want to tackle is basically, isn't Halloween evil? Like, if it's evil, then shouldn't we stay away? Shouldn't we retreat from Halloween? Right. So for some of us, when we think of Halloween, we think of neighbors and pumpkin spice lattes and cold brews or happy thoughts. And that's great. But for others of us, we might think of some of the darker parts of Halloween that do make us want to retreat. And those are legitimate things like Ouija boards or demons or over-sexualized parties and costumes. And we can kind of feel like it's Satan's birthday. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to celebrate Satan's birthday. That's not a party I want an invite to. No. And so as believers, we know there's certain ways that we are called to be like our neighbors, but there's a lot of ways we're called to be set apart and different, to be in the world and not of the world. And so how can we partake and engage in a holiday that has these evil associations, so to speak? Yeah, we're left with two options, really. Do we walk away from Halloween? Do we retreat back inside, turn off the lights? Or do we engage despite some of the messiness and some of the tensions? 
In order to answer this, I think really we start with Jesus. He is our best example of how to respond. And when we think about Jesus, we can think about the fact that he left the perfection of heaven, a perfect place, and he stepped into our dark world of sin and evil. And he moved toward that darkness, broadly speaking, but then also individually in each one of us. In John 14, he says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So Jesus was at the parties. He was at the tailgates and he put himself right in the middle of sinful people getting his hands dirty. And I think this is where not only our view of Jesus is important, but also our view of ourselves can come into play. Like the religious people that were around him, the Pharisees, they couldn't understand why Jesus was engaging with these sinners. They didn't see themselves as bad and sinful. They saw themselves as holy and separate and the people of God. And so to engage with certain people and certain things would be to defile themselves. And they even rebuked Jesus at times when he was in some of these precarious situations. But Jesus was not having any of it. Jesus pushed back with them in a series of woes and warnings for their self-righteous religiosity. In Matthew 23, starting in verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. It's very appropriate for our (laughs) Halloween discussion here. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So what I hear you saying is that sometimes we can be quick to point a finger at the big bad world out there rather than pointing a finger towards ourselves and saying, what about the big bad world in here? What about the issues and sin in my own heart? Right. I think he's saying that we don't need to be as afraid of what's out there as what's in here, in our hearts, that he's more concerned with what's going on inside us than our neighbor's Halloween lawn decks and if they have tombs or cobwebs in their yard. He says in Matthew 15, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So the religious people of his day had a hard time seeing what was going wrong inside them, their own inner darkness. They would have been more freaked out by their neighbor's haunted garage than the condition of their own soul. And I don't think Jesus is afraid of either. He moves towards us. He stepped into my darkness. He wasn't afraid of what he saw, and he had compassion on me. And he moved toward us, not away. So to answer your question, should we treat or retreat? Should we walk away from Halloween or move toward it? Should we pull away from some of these things that make us uncomfortable and be separate? I think that we can look at Jesus' example and the fact that he moved toward us. We can move toward some of the dark parts of Halloween. Yeah, that's good. And I really like that picture of Jesus moving towards the darkness, not away. But what if Halloween violates my conscience? For some of us, especially as believers, participating in Halloween has maybe gone against our conscience in the past, or maybe in our families of origin, it was one of those opt-out days where we go inside and we turn off the lights. Or just hang out with other believers. And I actually had a neighbor who's on church ask me about this recently. She wanted to know, why is it that Christians have a heavy conscience about this? So what would you say to that person who has a heavy conscience towards Halloween? 
I think I'd say a couple things. First off, I'd say it's okay if you've had a heavy conscience towards Halloween in the past, or maybe right now you're kind of wrestling through it, but I don't think you have to have that moving into the future. And I'd kind of like to challenge and have you reconsider if Halloween has to violate your conscience, if there could be some freedom there to engage with it. And the Bible speaks to this exactly. It gives us examples for when we might have sensitive consciences towards something, and it gives us freedom that can be applied here as well. And I'm thinking of passages like Romans 14, where Paul addresses Jews and Gentiles who are a part of the church in Rome, And they had different views on when to celebrate the Sabbath or on other Roman holidays, if they should engage in those or not, or which foods were okay to eat. And the Jewish Christians believed that you shouldn't eat certain foods because they were considered unclean by the Old Testament law or because the food had been sacrificed to idols before being sold in the market. He says in chapter 14, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Eating vegetables would be a way to stay away from the meat that was sacrificed to idols. And then when it came to the celebration of the Sabbath and the observance of Roman holidays, which most certainly had pagan roots, he says later in the passage, one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. And to all this, though, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So in other words, Paul's saying we can have different views. These believers in the early church had different views, and one isn't more right necessarily than the other, whether in this case eating meat or observing different days of celebration, if it's done in a way that honors God. So we have the freedom either way if it doesn't go against our conscience, and it doesn't have to, right? Right. And I think this is really key. This is something that helps us consider this is, if we do it in a way that honors God or we seek to honor God in our engagement. Paul says in that passage in verse 6, he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The important thing is that we think about this and we challenge ourselves a little bit, pray about it, and then be confident in what we choose to do. And if we engage in Halloween, then we need to do it in faith. In Paul's words, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So how could we be convinced? Like what would convince us? If we do it, do it unto God. If we don't, don't unto God, basically. So how do we know? I think We can make a case that Halloween presents us with an unbelievable once-a-year opportunity to connect with our neighbors that could have lasting impact the entire year. And having your neighbors come to your door or being able to knock on their door without it being awkward and maybe meet them for the first time, that doesn't happen very often. Like I was saying earlier, I was referring to my friend about that conversation we were having about Halloween. She's one of my closest friends in the neighborhood. Well, we met seven years ago this month because she reached out. She wanted to put on a little Halloween trail. Well, it didn't end up being so little. It was awesome. But that's how we became friends. That's how our relationship was built. So Halloween can be something that we engage with in order to honor God and see his kingdom break more and more into our neighborhoods. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that while it's not morally superior to engage with Halloween, we need to be careful not to judge those who may not. And the other way around, those who don't need to not judge those of us who do engage with it. And I think it's important here to point out too, that Paul does say that it is the weaker person who abstains. He says it's okay, there's freedom there, but I think Paul would love to see us grow into people who, through their knowledge and belief, believe that it's possible to engage in some of these things that require some tension, there might be some messiness in a way that honors the Lord and follow the example of Christ that he set for us. And if we find that we're convinced in our minds that we can engage in Halloween in a way that honors the Lord, I don't think it has to go against our conscience. Okay. Last thing I'm going to push back on. Uh, so if I celebrate this holiday, does that mean I'm condoning all the things that happen on Halloween? Because like I said, there are evil things that do happen. There are. And so we could fear that our participation of this holiday, we'd either be guilty by directly supporting all that goes on, or we could even be guilty of association. So we might ask, if I'm participating or engaging, and this could apply to other parts of culture too, not just Halloween, but does that mean that I'm supporting and condoning all that comes with it? Another way you could ask this rephrasing is, is there a way to participate in Halloween without celebrating evil? Well, the answer is always Jesus, right? <laughs> so let's go back to the example of Jesus, because I think if you look at the life of Jesus, there are a number of examples where he could have been considered guilty by association. It doesn't mean he was condoning evil or sin, but instead he was moving towards people in that moment. And as you mentioned earlier, it says that Jesus ate and drank with quote-unquote sinners. And Luke records some of the things that were happening, some of the accusations that were coming towards Jesus because of that. In Luke 7, 33-35, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees and their accusations, and he says this, "'The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners.'" And then later in Matthew 9, after he calls Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him, he goes to a dinner party with a bunch of Matthew's friends. Again, tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees come at him again. And I think it's important to remember, too, that in the ancient Near East, to eat with someone was a very intimate act. We'll casually go out to dinner with whoever and not really think anything about it. But to have a meal with someone in Jesus's day was a really big statement. It meant that you were friends with this person. And doesn't Dane Ortland say that friend of sinners was kind of like a nickname for Jesus? Like they meant it as an insult. Yeah, but it was actually kind of a cool thing. It's a compliment. Yeah. So did Jesus compromise his faith when he ate with the tax collectors and sinners? No. Jesus understood that he had to be around people who needed the gospel. People accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton because he spent time with the party crowd. And Jesus seemed okay with it. And I think it's because he loved them. And he wanted them to know that God loved them too. So it wasn't that Jesus was lax on sin. He was always tough on sin. Sin is serious. He died for our sin because it's so serious. But what we see over and over again is Jesus choosing mercy over religiosity, choosing relationship over religion, choosing love over law. And we might see our participation with Halloween or whatever it is. We could pick some other aspect of culture, like we said, 
as condoning darkness, but Jesus flips the script. I mean, what if when we keep our lights off, that's actually when we join the darkness? What if instead we decided to keep our porch lights on and give out the best candy? Actually, we were just talking to a friend, Garrick, who was saying that he saves the biggest and best candy bars for the teenagers that trick-or-treat, which I love when they're getting to that age as our oldest are. They only have a few years left, but what if we did that? What if instead of just hanging out with our other religious friends doing religious things, we got out there and carried Jesus's light into our neighborhoods? If the question is, are we condoning the bad parts of our culture? No, I don't think so. We can take the good and try to push back against some of those bad things. Yeah, and we do this in other ways too, in ways that we may not even think about. Take another holiday that we celebrate, Christmas. Our culture through Christmas celebrates excessive amounts of consumerism, and we go into credit card debt to pay for all of these gifts and all of these things that we probably don't even need. And so we don't stop celebrating the birth of Christ for fear that we'll be condoning all the greed and materialism. I mean, we might modify how we celebrate it and try to reject some of those parts that aren't great, but hopefully we celebrate the good parts and maybe even redeem certain things about it. And I think it's possible to do that with Halloween as well, to celebrate the good, take advantage of the opportunity to connect with people, reject the bad parts, and maybe even look to redeem some of it. So as we transition to some of the practical ideas for the fall, because I know a lot of our listeners are probably hoping to kind of brainstorm some ways to meet neighbors. But just to recap, the fact that there are evil things associated with Halloween doesn't need to keep us from associating with it. Our conscience doesn't have to bind us. We can have freedom, not judging people who do or don't, but we can have freedom to experience it. And we're not condoning the bad parts. We're engaging with Halloween, but we're rejecting some of the less desirable parts and hoping to bring some of God's redemption to our neighborhoods in the process. So let's talk about how this could play out. Boots on the ground. If someone is wanting to engage with Halloween, let's talk about the time maybe in the next few weeks. Fall in general is a great time to be outside and meet people. And then we could even talk about Halloween itself. Yeah. And we realize that every neighborhood is different. And so what worked in our neighborhood may not work in other neighborhoods, but we just want to give some ideas and some tracks to run on and some jumping off points. So what's a good place to start in the weeks leading up to Halloween? Booing. Booing is something that you can do. You can get your boo bag, your boo basket, your boo bucket, and you can get booed and you can boo other people. It's really funny to say. Basically, what you do is you go to the dollar store or maybe you go somewhere else. You get some treats, some goodies, and you anonymously drop off your boo basket at a neighbor's porch with a note explaining the surprise. And you can Google this online. There's a million you've been booed sheets. You print it off and set it out. And then you also print off the instructions for the person who receives that on how to boo two additional neighbors. So you could do this in a more adult way for other neighbors in your apartment complex. Drop off a plate of cookies with the little you've been booed What sign. about some chips and queso? Chips and... Uh, is that, do you boo with chips and queso? I would love to be booed with some <laughs> chips and queso. 
But booing is really fun. And what ends up happening, too, is you end up like, hey, did you boo me? They booed somebody else. And our kids get super into this. They dress in all black and they go stealth. They basically army crawl through the neighbor's lawns and they're super excited, almost more excited to boo other people. But they like to get booed, too. Another great idea during this time of year, again, we keep mentioning it, but it's a great neighboring tool, is the portable fire pit and doing something outside, doing some s'mores. You could get some hay bales, and that always sets a good mood. Anything that like is fall-related, you could have an apple-themed dessert party or an apple-themed dinner where everybody brings something that has apples in it. All of those good things are just the excuse that you can have that this time of year offers us. And so it's really great to take advantage of it. And we were just talking to our friend Jamie, who's single, and trying to think of some ideas she could implement with some neighbors around her. And one of the things she was saying is how the fall, it gets really nice outside, or at least here in Missouri, it's a really nice time to maybe have neighbors over in your backyard, like you were saying, or in your driveway. And she made the point that sometimes it can be intimidating to have neighbors inside your house because it feels almost too intimate. And it reminds me of an article we were reading recently by Tim Keller that was talking about the loss of the American front porch and how the front porch used to be a space in between the outside world and your inside home where you could experience someone and their values and their personality, a relationship with them even without having to go into that more intimate setting. And his challenge was that we need to, as believers, we need to recreate the front porch, so to speak. We need to create spaces where we can engage with neighbors in the in-between, in the common space. And so I think that's important to keep in mind, too. When I was single, I remember going to fall parties with bobbing for apples and fun things like that. But you could also do a movie night, outdoor movie night. We have done Hocus Pocus and Beetlejuice, the old school ones like Edward Scissorhands or Ghostbusters. And there's also really fun movies that you could play for young kids, too, like Toy Story of Terror and Scared Shrekless, Monsters, Inc., Hotel Transylvania, some of those. Yeah, you're just looking for an excuse. And I love that language of recreating the front porch. And the fall offers so many opportunities to do that. And again, being outside is less threatening. So what about on Halloween? What could we do on Halloween? I would say if your neighborhood already does Halloween, then jump in and see how you can help out. But if they don't, what would you say would be a good place to start? What are some ideas and some ways that we can get to know our neighbors? I would start with looking for if there are opportunities that are already happening. So if anything is already organized, jump in on what other people are doing. I think easy, doable, simple. We were just talking to a friend who was saying they've started this tradition of doing chili in their garage. They open up the garage door, they set up a table. His wife freezes all the meat ahead of time. He dumps in a bunch of beans and he said it's just an easy chili dump. And there it is. And they've met so many neighbors through providing chili. People love it. They come every year wanting the chili. 
Yeah, they've created their own station. I mean, right. their neighborhood doesn't do all the stations and things, but they just said, hey, what if we created our own? And I think that's a great idea. Like even asking your next door neighbor to the right and to the left and say, hey, could we all pull off some kind of station, some place for neighbors to stop while they're trick-or-treating and pause and get to know them. Maybe we do s'mores. While the kids are making the s'mores, we get to hang out with the neighbors. Maybe it's hot dogs in a bag of chips. Maybe if I have a basketball who do a shoot for loot, you give out a special candy if they make the basket. Just any idea to create a little atmosphere, a little spot to hang out and build relationships. People love a photo booth and it doesn't have to be elaborate and you could get a couple hay bales or just balloons and you hang up a sheet and a little sign this happy Halloween. People will stop and they'll take their picture and boom, relationship. What about the candy swapping idea? So after Halloween, we just keep the fun going. Our kids love just as much as going trick-or-treating and getting the candy, they love swapping the candy. And so this is obviously just a kid's idea, like a family-friendly idea. But we have stopped keeping it inside the house because we now have a dog and we've had some uh uh-oh moments with our dog Kadani last Halloween. Got touchy. But we've started keeping the candy in our garage and we put down blankets and pull our cars out and the kids basically have store for the next week or two where they're just swapping candy constantly. Yeah. So those are some ideas, some ways to engage on Halloween. So before we wrap up, we didn't tell everybody what we're going as this Halloween, which Disney movie the four remaining McKinney's are going as. I'll give a clue. I'm going as a boo. There you go. It's Aladdin. I'm going as the genie and my costume comes with abs. So I'm very excited about that. Really nice abs. One daughter is going as the magic carpet, which is kind of obscure and kind of fun. And then the other one is going as Jasmine. So there you have it. So if the question is treat or retreat, I say treat. I say treat too. I say we don't need to be afraid of the big bad world out there, but we can follow Jesus into our neighborhood spaces that might initially feel uncomfortable, but ultimately we can bring his light to our neighborhoods. So let's engage. Let's have some fun. Let's build some relationships because it's through those relationships that Jesus will work. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Mm -hmm.